Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am so, so happy to be joined on the phone today by my dear friend, Laura Bartels. Hello, Laura. Good morning. Hello. So uh, you and I, we've known each other for what is it, like a decade now, and I just got to say, um, so I'll, I'll see if I can make you blush over the over the radio. Um, <laughs> that you you are one of the people that when I look at the work you do and the spirit you bring to it, I actually have faith in humanity and in our future on this planet. And there's precious few people I say that about, but whenever I whenever I see you talk or work or just hang out with you, I. I'm just so uplifted, and um, and and that has kept me going in times when uh, when there was a lot of evidence to the contrary. So I just want to honor and thank you for that. Oh well, thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> okay. So so we so we met over a uh, a bucket of slop um, many many years ago, and you you were teaching um, folks how to make buildings. Out of straw and um, and then putting on um, clay and sand plasters, and it was basically like you know back to kindergarten for me, just sort of you know uh, uh-huh. getting my my uh, sleeves rolled up and my hands dirty. Um, but you are um, a a practitioner of of natural building. Which is, you know, where, where, where and how I met you. Can you tell us a little bit about what natural building is and kind of how you, how you got, how you got into it and how maybe how it differs from what we think of as conventional building? Sure. Um, well, uh, so natural building and the whole range of natural building technologies, um, really speaks to, in a way, looking at Hippocratic Oath applied to buildings, you know, try to first do no harm, and um, and looking at ways that we can uh, live more uh, in in concert with uh, natural uh, gifts that are around us, natural materials, um, and avoid uh, things that, um, that that create harm, that are toxic, uh, either at the at the location that they're mined or sourced, uh, in their transportation, in in what they might do on the buildings uh, in the building uh, to the occupants in terms of you know outgassing and all the, those things, or or in demolition and in how we dispose of buildings. So it's a recognition that um, that there's a lot of wisdom in natural materials that have been used for millennia, and um, and that there are very modern, wise ways to use them that are very aligned with building science and some of the most um, forward-thinking, regenerative design principles um, that we have today. Hmm. So, so when you say do no harm, what, what are some examples of harm that comes about from the buildings that we see around us every day that we might not be thinking about? Oh, well, let's see, the... The, uh, one one example that comes to mind immediately um, that it's not that it's not well known, but I've spent two years working on this effort um, to uh, to address this is the fact that in in all our efforts for energy efficient buildings, we use a lot a lot of foam insulation, uh, whether it's spray foam or rigid foam insulation, and it just so turns out that um, in all foam insulation. Very, very toxic 
um, persistent organic pollutants, uh, um, which are flame retardants, are are put in that foam, and they are not chemically bonded to the foam. Uh, and unfortunately, we've we've found through studies that in most cases, they don't actually help the fire retardancy. And when that foam burns, it creates an extremely toxic scenario for firefighters and first responders. Um, they are getting cancers that have been previously only known to those working in the chemical industry. And those uh, those chemicals, those um, flame retardants are... Being, they are now found all over the planet uh, in in aquatic environments, in soil, in in uh, in, in the umbilical cord of, of newborns. Um, it, it's 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 an example of uh, really sort of um, you know industry and and money driving solutions that um, are not elegant solutions and not, are really not even solutions to uh, to the the risk that they're trying to address, and then and then producing other risks, unintended consequences. Hmm. So, so I guess the yeah. the the option then is to just live in cold buildings, or well, would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's. Um, well, on, on that effort alone, we're, we're, we've worked uh, very hard to change the building codes in this country. So that um, those flame retardants aren't required anymore. That, that really we get our, our flame retardancy from the things that are already in our buildings, the, the drywall, the other things. So, so, so there's a way. Not, not that I'm a, in favor of foam at all, but I think there's a healthier way to, to address that question. If foam, you know, foam's not going to go away. But, but there are so many other. Um, more elegant solutions to insulating our buildings and creating energy efficient buildings. Um, straw, sheep's wool, um, uh, recycled, uh, other kinds of materials, uh, um, basaltic uh, glass kinds of materials. Um, I stumbled upon straw bale buildings, uh, gosh, in 1994. Um, yeah. 20 years ago, is that, could that be true? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I stumbled across, I was building a house at 8,200 feet in elevation uh, here in Colorado where I live. And uh, from my previous work, I was already very familiar with climate change issues and, and energy issues um, through environmental work. And I wanted to build a very super inflated home, and I looked at the conventional ways to do it. Uh, conventional insulation materials and methods, and none of them made very much sense to me. And I, I decided, oh well, let, let me pretend that there's there's no rules, there's no building departments and building codes and no um, insurance and mortgage requirements. If, if I if there if I have no rules, what would I do? What would make the most sense? And I I uh, I looked at all kinds of things, and Strato Construction was really in its um, early days of the revival. It's, it's actually an older technology. It um, was uh, created after the, the bailing machine was invented in the 1800s in Nebraska and uh, South Dakota, but then had a, a quiet period and then was revived in the, in the 80s. Um, so I was just at the early part of that revival, heard about it. You know, the Internet wasn't a big deal back then. Um, got a hold of some... Uh, the, newsletter sort of journal that was out called The Last Straw and thought, wow, this makes some sense because what you're doing is you're using a waste product from growing grain. It's the stock of the grain plant. 
you're using that waste product that's produced annually. It's bailed. You're placing it in the exterior walls of the building, whether it's a post and beam or it's actually holding the roof up, which is a, a load-bearing technique that works and is, is now um, code-approved. Um, and you're using that non-toxic, non-toxic annually renewable waste product to create a super-insulated, non-toxic building. And, and that's, you know, where the sort of elegant solution uh, came to mind. Like, wow, we, we can actually, you know, use, you know, use things and look at them holistically, look at the whole life cycle, cycle and have them, and, and have it all make sense. Um, and, and when that building comes down, uh, if, you know, in 200 years, hopefully, and not no sooner, um, you know, what do we have? We have straw. We can we can compost it. <laughs> so um, you know we don't have a toxic material that we we have a um, you know a, a disposal issue with. Mm-hmm. So um, so those are the kinds of elegant solutions that that I've all, you know I've started to you know continually look for and um, and and I found a lot of them through um, natural materials. I mean clay is a, is an amazingly um, brilliant material that nature created and. Um, can create in, in a in a plaster. It can create a smart membrane where it, it actually can absorb excess humidity and, and give off humidity um, uh, when when the conditions are dry. It's uh, it's amazing, uh, really, what's out there and what we're what we've forgotten already in our industrial minds. Mm. Well, it seems like the industrial mindset is a very linear mindset, where you start with a raw material and you end with a waste product, and I thought the last the last species that did that before humans, I believe, were like the bacteria that you know four billion years ago that, that died in their own shit. And it seems uh-huh. like seems like that's sort of what, what where where we're heading. That you know that one definition of elegant is there really should not be a waste stream, right? Every in, in nature, everything is used by something else. It's nature is, is much more efficient than we are. Absolutely, and and you know, there's there's wonderful efforts right now to mimic those kinds of things um, in in biomimicry. The whole field of biomimicry is fascinating to me. Um, wonderful inventions uh, based on things like mimicking the, the coral in in the ocean and um, and how uh, that is produced at um, ambient temperatures with local materials and and no toxic waste. Uh, Wow, <laughs> what if we could do that? Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, I think I think they're, they're, the seeds are there; they're growing, um, but it's not well known, mm-hmm. and, and we're not thinking about it. We're not thinking about it in our daily lives, in our personal lives, um, and, uh, and and I think that's uh, I think hopefully that's where we're headed. Okay. So, so one of your great lines when you give uh, talks. Is, you know, whenever, when people first hear about building with straw, of course, they think about the three little pigs. And (laughs) and I I love the response you get, you give when you hear that. You could could share it with us. What's the the lesson of that story? And I can't claim that that I first, I was the first one to to say it, but but really, you know, when when people say, um, you know, um, uh, what's, you know, what, what I say, well, what's you know, the real moral of the of the three little pigs is don't build your, you know, don't let a pig build your house. <laughs> and um, 
and really, you know, it's it's not the straw. Uh, it's, you know, that 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 wasn't the the, the issue with the with that story. That's not really. Don't let a kid build your house. So. <laughs> right, but, and of course, what the story bring, right. brings up is that somehow that the natural building, sure, it may be great for the environment. It it may be more elegant, but if we're going to do it, we're going to we're giving something up. We're giving up this latest greatest technology. We're giving up the look, the modern sensibilities, all these all these new inventions. And I see that you know in, in the work I'm doing um, around sort of planetary sustainability and and everything from diet to exercise to lifestyle to meditation that there is this this feeling in the culture that if you do something good for the environment it's at a, co- a personal cost so what do you what, what do you find is is it possible to live in a straw bale or a clay or i just saw something about uh, mycotecture about uh, uh, mushroom bricks you know is it possible to, to is it possible to to live with these sort of quasi ancient quasi modern technologies in a way that doesn't require sacrifice well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'll, I'll speak to my own experience right now. I'm, I'm in Colorado. Uh, it's so 20 degrees this morning. I'm in my straw bale home, uh, that I built as a demonstration project a few years ago. And, um, uh, I helped. You know, and you helped. You, you were there at the foundation, really, when we were pouring concrete for the footers. It was, uh, I think I wonderful. Still, I think I still have some under my nails. <laughs> souvenir. Just a souvenir, right? Um, but, you know, uh, repeatedly people walk in the door to, to tour the home and their, their eyes light up and they say, wow, you know, it's so warm in here and, and it's passive solar, it's, Passive solar design, so I'm taking advantage of the, you know, our beautiful Colorado uh, sunshine. Um, I have a, I have an adobe floor, an earthen floor um, that that people find wonderful to walk on in your socks or bare feet. Um, it feels so nice, and and then uh, you know it's, it's absorbing that sun, and the building is super insulated, so it's so comfortable in here and so warm. Um, without being overheated at all, that um, both in the winter when you walk in and it's so warm and when you walk in in the summer and people ask if I have air conditioning, um, you know, it's an, it's an incredibly comfortable building and I can't say that about most um, stick-framed houses I've ever lived in. Um, they've been drafty and, you know, just not um, not as comfortable. So, in terms of human comfort, hey, that's that's one of the things that, that you certainly can get out of this. And then and then the beauty, the absolute beauty. You know, talk about um, you know one of the things we've lost through the, the industrialization of uh, of our culture and, and our buildings is um, we've lost um, sort of the spirit of buildings, so the, the spirit of beauty. And, um, and I love the the quote of. Uh, um, Rene Dubot, who says, you know, the worst thing we can do to our children is to convince them that ugliness is normal. Hmm. I think we've done that in, in, for generations. And, um, and so, you know, when, when we look back to some of these, what you might call ancient technologies, and, and, and bring them back in a new light, um, 
you know, I give tours at the at the Waldorf School, um, which I helped to build, which is a campus of, of all Strawbell buildings. It's, it's over 20,000 square feet or 25,000 square feet of Strawbell buildings. I can't remember now. Um, and they're gorgeous. And I give tours and I bring people in the front door and they all, in, in concert, they take this big in-breath and they hold their breath. And I look at them and sort of wait to see if they're going to breathe <laughs> and say, you know, you can breathe now. And, and, the, and the, the reaction is, wow, this is a beautiful building. And you know, it's almost like we remember beauty of buildings like this on a cellular level, but we don't uh, we don't experience it that often anymore. Um, mm. So, so I think you know, I think there's a lot of um, kinds of things that that are happening with these buildings that are um, um, that that aren't uh, you know that it's not a sacrifice in any way. Um, when we when we look at some of these technologies, and 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 I have clients uh, who um, choose uh, to use Strabo construction, who are building a six thousand square foot house, or um, clients who are a, 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 dis- a library district building a, a public library. In fact, one uh, the public library I did a few years ago won the best small library in the U.S. by um, uh, an award through Library Journal, and then won an award at the at the White House. Um, so, you know, these aren't sacrifices at all. Now, something else I've seen firsthand is the difference between the spirit at a building site of a traditional <laughs> building and a natural building. Can you talk a little bit about your experience about the differences? Yeah, that was one of the first things I, it was one of the first aha moments I had. I, you know, I mentioned I, I built a house in, uh, in 1995 on um, on a on a mountain pass here in Colorado, um, largely um, you know built uh, uh, by my former husband and I and volunteers, people who ca- who came and wanted to get their hands dirty and and uh, and and maybe they still have stuff under their fingernails too. Who knows? <laughs> but but what I recognized during you know, these gatherings that we have, like a, a, the wall raising, for example, the building a straw bale, building, you can have an event that's like the old barn raising feel, community gathering, um, camaraderie, uh, um, interaction of all ages, um, something for everyone to do. And what I found was, A, there was this sense of incredible empowerment going on for people. I mean, you know, building one wall in the bedroom was a teacher and an accountant and, well, you know, on and on. And, and I remember them standing back once they got the wall up and saying, wow, we, we built that. And it's just such a, you know, I think we've forgotten how to create our own shelter. And, and this is a very empowering thing um, where our world that has gotten so professionalized, we, we feel like, oh, boy, we can't touch that. We can't, you know, we can't get involved in that. So that's one thing. But... But I also think that these these gatherings where you you can do something um, that's, that's very positive, that's very beneficial and very productive um, as a community, um, whether it's gardening, whether it's building, um, you know, all these different efforts, um, I think that that kind of recreating that kind of culture is something um, that I see as an exciting. Uh, outcome of these things as well, and it's just sort of the, the magic that's sort of held in these uh, these technologies and, and create and creates these opportunities. So when you talk about community, 
what what are some things you've seen you know after the building is done that you know that communities kind of can come can come together because I know you've talked a lot about the way buildings are are laid out or the way they're constructed or what they're constructed of will have an impact on the people who live there afterwards what 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 have you seen and maybe you have some you know specific stories about communities that have been transformed by conscious natural buildings Hmm, that's a good question. I, yes, I, I, uh, let me just see if I can pick out. It's certainly true, and, and, and it happens in subtle ways, and let me just see if I can pick out a particular story. Um, um, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the Waldorf School community, um, and, and just you know, that school was in a different town uh, prior to building this campus. Um, they chose to buy this 13-acre campus in the in the middle part of this 40-mile-long uh, valley here in Colorado. And uh, and uh, so there were a lot of new families that were that were now willing to become part of the school because it was closer to them. And so that summer of 1997, the summer of building the first. Um, of the of the Straubel buildings for the school on this new campus, a uh, 5,700 square foot building, um, that brought a lot of new people together. Never never met and and um, working side by side, volunteering um, to uh, to help create this this learning environment for our children. Um, that created bonds that. You know, are unique. I, I would say, I mean, there's certainly other experiences that we have in our lives and in our communities that create bonds that, that may be similar, but, but there certainly was a, a magic to that. And, and, um, you know, re- very recently we, we actually had our, um, a wonderful benefactor of the school pass away suddenly in a, in a helicopter accident. It was a tragic, tragic accident. Um, and it brought together at his memorial a lot of these families that, you know, 18 years ago we, we worked so, um, so closely together with. And, and there was a, you know, and, and has been all these years, a very special, um, uh, sense of accomplishment and bonding that, that happened. And I, I think that's, that's one of sort of a, you know, it's just one, one example, but I think, um, you know, there are, there are many other examples. You know, one example, uh, just a, a sort of transforming a community and empowering a community has happened in, in, um, in Portland, Oregon, uh, where a homeless, uh, an effort for the homeless was created where there was a, an area in the city where homeless, uh, people were camping, but the city was, um, was, um, had, had pushed them all around and they finally found this location and they were allowed to camp there and of course it was like next to the landfill and stuff. Um, but it, partnering with the natural building community, there was an effort to create um, small dwellings, uh, smaller than would be required to have a building permit and also uh, not on uh, permanent foundations, so, so movable small buildings. And a lot of a lot of natural building techniques were used, and they're you know very accessible to people of all skill levels, um, with you know certainly with some builders as as um, guides, and so there was uh, light straw clay buildings and straw bale buildings, 
and, and amazing uh, empowerment and skill building happened in that community, as well as the opportunity for people to have addresses and a place to live and therefore sort of um, have a much uh, stronger opportunity to, um, to get a job and to, to rebuild their lives. But the skill building that happened um, allowed them uh, to go work for, uh, to look for work in the construction industry as well. So, um, but the entry point was these, um, these very accessible natural building technologies. So mm. another, another wonderful transformation. Yeah, and that, you know what you said, and I, I feel this very strongly because I've never grown up with this with a with a skill set around fixing things or building things. You know, when I walk into a hardware store, I start sweating because I don't know the name of anything. <laughs> and and my, my experience of participating in natural building, even as a complete amateur, is that there's stuff that I can do that feels important. It's not like you know when your four year old wants to help. And you know it's just gonna, you know that that just means this, the whatever project you're working on just got ten times longer. Exactly. It's like exactly. I was I was actually doing something useful, and I I remember working on a project we were building a straw bale dome, and the technology that was being used to to uh, shape out the dome was a piece of string. From from the center, <laughs> so that all the straw bales were roughly the same distance from the center, and I'm like. Even I could do that. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said something at the very beginning that um, has has stuck with me. You're t- you talked about natural building as being defined by using natural gifts. And the word gifts feels so different from the way our culture talks about stuff we get from the earth, natural resources. What, what does that mm. word natural gifts me- mean to you? Well... You know, it really comes from the, the sense of, uh, of gratitude that, you know, nature provides us with this amazing, rich wealth of, um, of, uh, of gifts all around us. Um, and, and when, when we recognize them as gifts, um, when we have that kind of relationship, um, it transforms how we treat things. Um, and, and, you know, I think, um, we have lost, I think, in, in our industrial culture, those things that remind us of that relationship, um, and, um, and, and, and keep us in right relationship with, um, with, with the air that we're breathing, with the, the clean water that we may be lucky enough to have, um, with, uh, with the, the, the plant material, the, um, um, uh, the animal life, all of the things that, that provide us with the chance to be here. Um, and when I think we get that, when I think we get that, or, you know, when we get that, that those are what sustain us, and we have our life, uh, you know, to thank, um, or we have them to thank for our life, you know, then I think we start to to look at things differently and start to, to um, choose differently um, our thoughts, you know, even our speech and our actions. Um. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when I think about how easy is, it is for me to get into kind of a a, a, rat, a rat race funk around, I'm not making enough money, I've got to scramble for this, I've got to scramble for that, that it feels like, you know, money and things and food and shelter 
I just have to sort of hammer them out of a rock every day, which is how our culture kind of trains us, you know, go work hard as opposed to if you're grounded in everything around you is a gift originally, you're right. You, you don't deserve the air you breathe. You don't deserve the gravity. It's just given. It doesn't matter who you are. And then that's the, that's the foundation of our life that you can walk around in a, with, with a baseline sense of appreciation which is kind of one mm-hmm. of the nicest feelings you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, um, I've i certainly been exploring my uh, a different piece of all this more recently, and, and that is mindfulness. And, um, and my partner, John Bruda, and I have, uh, have a, um, a program called the Mindful Life Program, uh, and 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 that deepening in that work has really given me yet a new perspective um, to, to add to those perspectives that I've gained through this other work. Um, but that is, you know, really looking at, you know, where does our genuine happiness come from? Um, it, it does does the car, the nice car that we have, or the job that we have, or the house that we have, or all these things, is that really where our happiness comes from? And and um, you know they provide us with some some pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to recognize that that pleasure is temporary, it may also lead to suffering. You know, to you know, <laughs> um, when, when that nice car gets scratched, oh, you know, now all, all of a sudden, you know, the nice car is actually creating a lot of suffering. Um, uh, or you know, the, the repairs on the big house that I have uh, that that are costing me so much money. Um, you know, when we start to really get what creates genuine happiness, we can start to realign our lives with those things um, that that provide us more genuine happiness, that that um, that also are more beneficial um, to ourselves, to others. Um, so it, it's adding. It's interesting. It's it's, it's sort of an it, it's an evolution of my work. That um, that seems you know in some ways it can be you could separate it, but it's so. Um, it's so wonderfully layered together. Um, so that's just the exciting uh, new stuff that, that I've been uh, deepening in uh, lately. Okay. So, so how do you get from straw bales to mindfulness? Was it sort of like a, like a quantum jump, or was there was there some was there some sort of evolution that you can trace? Oh, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> a lifelong evolution of of uh, oh. Um, being um, one of those people who always had a million things going, um, didn't know how to say no, um, and and you know, really feeling like I was driven by things that I loved doing. I was saying yes to things that I loved doing, um, and um, and that I thought were beneficial in the world. I really was. I felt like you know I, I kept a very good lens uh, for the work I was doing in the world because I wanted to make sure it was beneficial, that it had the biggest leverage point I could possibly find in making positive change. Um, so all in all, you know, it all looked good. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when you met me 10 years ago, you know, it all looked good. Um, but uh, there was this ramping up, this getting caught up in in, in busyness and in doing and to the point where, you know, as as I got 
more engaged in wider and wider networks nationally and internationally, um, my schedule was crazy. And um, I found that all this talk about sustainability <laughs> uh, in an outward sense was um, was not being reflected in my inner life and, and my inner self and, and, and finding that, you know, my home life um, was becoming less and less sustainable as I went out to try to help, um, you know, sustainability uh, move forward in, in all these other places in the, in the, in the country and, and stuff and other projects. And so, so there was a recognition and it was, you know, it was, there were times where the recognition was there, but I couldn't figure out how to do anything about it, um, as, as many of us may, may feel. Um, but over time, you know, um, I, uh, I began meditating, um, on and off, not, not solidly in the beginning at all. Um, <laughs> Shame uh, on you, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but, you know, but looking to those things, starting to say, gosh, you know, I can get that, um, you know, I need, I need a stronger inner foundation if I want to keep doing, um, beneficial outer work. And so that's really where that transition started. It, it was that recognition. Um, mm. and then, you know, then, then a process of sort of finding my way with that. So you've, uh, you said you talked about your partner, John Bruna, who's been, been working on mindfulness. And since it's, we were chatting before we started recording that it's kind of different from what I might think of as mindfulness from like the, you know, the Harvard, uh, or, you know, John Kabat-Zinn personal mindfulness. Can you talk about how you and John, see mindfulness um, in a more maybe global uh, environmental or community sense than, than just sort of, you know, an individual sort of paying attention to the food they're eating or the steps they're taking? Sure. Maybe it will be helpful to, to start a little bit with just to describe this, this sort of broader sense of mindfulness. Um, so, so one sense of mindfulness that people may be familiar with is a sense of um, – present moment awareness, uh, really sort of being present in your life in, in every moment, um, using meditation as a tool to practice that, but, but the real practice is out, you know, in your, in your daily life um, and, and uh, paying attention uh, moment to moment. Now, and that is incredibly beneficial. There's, there's 30 years worth of studies um, to show that, you know, our, our immune systems, our, um, the, uh, the clarity of our, our um our mind, I mean, there's so many, so many benefits to being in the present moment and learning to, to do that. But, but to add to that and to expand that idea that, um, that we also develop the sense of clarity of, uh, um, uh, in our life, um, of, of what, you know, what really, uh, is beneficial and unbeneficial in our lives and to continue to cultivate those things that are beneficial and, 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 uh, and let go of those things that are unbeneficial, um, to look to uh, this idea of genuine happiness, to get what that is about, and, and, and start to um, and start to make choices around that. And then, you know, discernment, um, that, that skill of it's wisdom, discernment, um, being able to, uh, to see those differences and, and, and to make choices consciously. Um, so it's it's about how you respond to events in your life um, and, and, and being uh, 
present enough in your life to uh, to have that clarity and and use the wisdom that you that you develop. So, mm. so it's a little bit broader sense than just you know being being here in the present moment. Um, and and so I think you know to speak to your question when you are working with mindfulness and you're and you're starting to um, really look at what let's say brings genuine happiness as an example um, and realize that the bigger house and the fancier car isn't where my genuine happiness comes from um, but but really from from ethics and virtuous activity and being a benefit um, but that's where I get my real genuine happiness then I start to realign my priorities I start to to make different choices, and generally those are going to be things that are, that are going to um, create connection, create healthy connections with other people. Um, they're going to be things that tend to be lighter on um, in terms of impact on, on the planet. Um, and um, you know, we we start to see where uh, where the effects of our choices lead us. Um, uh, and uh, in, mm. in a much clearer sense. Mm. I, I love that because one of the things that I have tended to to demonize in in when, <laughs> you know is like certain things in the world or certain technologies or certain organizations. Like for example, uh, Hummers or Disney or sports cars. And so I t- I would attach a judgment to anyone that I mm-hmm. saw enjoying those things. And it's, it's, it's recently come to me that I, I have friends who love Disney and they're wonderful people and they're smart and they're with it and they're conscious in the world and they love Disney. And, and for them, you know, the more mindful they get, they're not going to suddenly go, Oh, this is this creepy. They're just going to love it more. And it occurs to me that there are, there are people who's, you know, for whom total joy would mean owning a Hummer. And, or it might mean a sports car or, or a really, really big house. Like they would use it, you know, really well for all these, you know, fundraisers or parties and increase the joy in the world. And it's not the things itself, but the, you know, it's the people that I know who are really mindful about their joys. Um, you know, that, that it, they, the, the things themselves somehow transcend judgment. The, it's just mm-hmm. sort of people being really clear about what makes them happy. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and then in that example of a of a large home, using it to you know to bigger benefit um, and stuff, you know that that's, that's you know could be a blend of sort of what brings genuine happiness and and maybe also some you know some some fleeting pleasures from you know enjoying enjoying that um, that big house. It 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 doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but but to, to cultivate that view towards genuine happiness, I think is is beneficial. Yeah, and 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 it's something I think we're not trained as a society, right? We're we're trained that consumerism is the is the answer, and and, and is the key, and that so so that whenever you do something that's not a consumer pleasure, you're sacrificing. It's, yes. we, we have it's it's that either or zero sum game, and I guess you're, that your the way you and John help people with mindfulness is it's, it's actually win win for the human and for the environment and for all the other um, beings with which we share it. 
Yeah. And, you know, speaking to, you know, this consumerism model and, and marketing, you know, we are, we are told through, through advertisements that, you know, this will make us happy and this will make us happy. John likes to point out, he, he loves watching, uh, whenever he can, uh, commercials on, on perfume. All the things that, that, you know, that you're supposed to get out of a scent in a bottle. Um, and, you know, it's sort of ridiculous sometimes if you really tear it apart. Um, uh, and, and, and as you said, there's a twin to that. So, so, you know, we're marketed to say we'll get all these benefits and, and all this happiness and joy from these things. And, and on the flip side, if you don't do this, if you don't buy this, if you don't have this, you will be unhappy. And I think to recognize and, and have clarity about those dual messages that we're getting constantly, um, I think can, can help us to, detach a little bit and 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 not grasp grasp for those things as um as much as we we tend to as a, as a culture mm. so um you know this is this is kind of the the first interview i've done from the perspective of my new venture which is uh, called plant yourself at plantyourself.com and so obviously there's the pun on plants and all the ways in which plants can can support and help us but also very much thinking about how each of us can kind of take a stand can get a little bit more rooted and so in order to begin to withstand the mainstream the consumer culture the the kind of bleak Lies and half truths that that we've come to expect is normal. So I think I'm, I'm going to start a new tradition <laughs> to start with you and see, see if it works. To ask to to end each interview by asking my guests, what's the one thing that you think people can start doing to plant themselves? And by that I mean both you know improving the quality of their own lives and also um, helping the planet, helping the ecosystem, helping. All the other beings. Where, where, where do you think someone could start? What's the one thing you would suggest? Mm. I think it would be to start seeing things clearly, like I was just talking about. You know, seeing the, you know, seeing clearly the real messages that we're getting from advertising. Um, seeing clearly our real motivations um, for, for, um, you know. Deciding to uh, to buy this or to to do this to really get um, you know what's driving us and and uh, and really asking is that is that leading to genuine happiness? I think I have to say I think that might be my first starting point. Awesome. Well, that's and that sounds very much like where where you've arrived in. Um, espousing and practicing mindfulness as as a foundational technique. Mm-hmm. Right, kind of. There's yeah. no, no change without awareness. Right, and I, I think, uh, I think for my own life, it's, it's, it's proven itself to be an incredibly value, valuable skill or awareness to cultivate, um, to make better choices and to, um, and, and to, and to find more happiness. Um, it's certainly, certainly proving to be a very useful thing for my, my own life. Awesome. So, so I'd love to. Yeah. End, I'd love to end by asking uh, how we can do that and how you can help us. So, if, if people want to find more about the uh, the Mindful Life program with you and, and, mm-hmm. and John Bruna, where can they go? How can they uh, learn more? Sure. Uh, you can go to our website at 
mindfullifeprogram.org. And there's um, a wealth of resources um, and uh, and download free downloads as well downloads of um, of meditations um, guided meditations and and articles uh, about mindfulness so um, that's yeah that would be a great way to to uh, get in touch and um, and our contact information is on the website and uh, we offer programs all over the country and uh, we have a teacher training a year long teacher training program uh, starting in June of this year June of 2014. Um, where we are doing our inaugural uh, training and certification of uh, of a group of teachers who will who will spread the word all over um, uh, new areas of the country as well. Awesome. Well, let let it be so. Uh, so, Laura yeah. Laura Bartels, thank you so much. I am doubly jazzed by by all your work and all the spirit that you bring to it. Now that you're you're partnering with with John and expanding. Uh, from straw to mindfulness to encompass uh, the the entirety of uh, of the human experience on the planet, and I look forward to to learning from you and celebrating with you a lot in the days and years to come. So thanks again for being the the first guest on uh, Plant Yourself. Well, I am honored, and and it has been so fun to talk, and and I still look forward to playing in the mud again with you. You know, hopefully that's not out of the question. Right on, right on. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, and take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.